Please stand for the reading of the word from Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your centennials lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy. For plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. I hope you're doing well. All of you that are gathered here in our auditorium and those of you that are along uh, for the ride online, it's good for you to be with us. Uh, especially our college students. You just finished finals. For some of you, this was the first final uh, of your life. For others, you're almost done and out of here. Uh, and uh, we are with you. Uh, we are happy for you. And I know all your professors have a lot of papers to grade, and that's no fun. So payback. Ha! Um, so it's good, good to have you here, and we pray that you have a uh, safe trip home. If you are a college student that's just coming home for the first time, and you're uh, you've been away at semester. Uh, we're glad to have you with us as well. Uh, I want to do something that we've done in the past here at Highland uh, during this sermon moment, but we haven't done it in a while. So I'll remind you of the words, uh, the rules. I want to ask you a question, and, uh, and then I want you to kind of think about it for a minute, and then turn to the person next to you and, and share with them. Um, and now the rule is if you don't know the person, you just kind of introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Shane. Glad to meet you. Um, but if you don't want to play, like you, you're not here to talk to anybody this Sunday, you love church, but you're not here to socialize, uh, that's cool. Just pull out your cell phone and start flipping through. That's the signal that says, I don't want to play. Everybody respects that. They just go like, oh, Hi, Shane. Nice to meet you. Here's the question I'd love for you to discuss with one another. Do you remember where you were when you received the best news? Now, I know for most of us, like the default answer, Jesus Juke, has to be like, oh, it was when I heard that I was, you know, except to God. Yeah, I get it. Um, when you were here, you know, there's, you can have another answer too. That's fine. Where were you when you received the best news? And where, where was it? What was the news? What were you doing? What was that moment? Take just a minute and turn to the person next to you and share with them your answer. Now remember, if they don't want to play, don't take it personal. They're just not feeling social today, and that's okay. It's Christmas. I get it. Um, take uh, 45 seconds and share, and then listen to your, your partner's answer, and then we'll pull, pull the sermon back together. Ready, set, go. All right, it's time to switch. If you've been talking the whole time, it's time to let the other person chat. (laughs) 
Okay, so we've, we've been going through this series called Foretold, and it's, it's looking back to kind of those Old Testament texts that, that, that tell of the coming of the Messiah, tell of what that looks like. And it's interesting, as we've been digging through these texts, to realize that most of these Old Testament texts are referring not just to Messiah, but also to something that's happening in the life of Israel at that time. And so there's this, this meaning that you can, you can understand of what, what does it mean when Isaiah writes this to Jerusalem, but also what does it mean to us as we hear this kind of over here, this message, and hear Jesus in the text. And so this, this story, this, this poem in the middle of Isaiah is this, this beautiful image of a runner coming into town. They're coming to Jerusalem. The, the author specifically says the... Uh, the ruins of Jerusalem. Yet around the city, there are watchtowers and there are watchmen standing at their post and they see this runner come in. That's kind of the, the setup for this text. And, and I want you to imagine with me for just a minute, what would it be like to be a watchman on the wall of Jerusalem? Now at this time, Jerusalem is a vassal state to, to the empire of, of Babylon. And so they don't have control, they don't have power, they don't have authority or autonomy. They're at the will and the whim of, of another nation that can just tell them how many taxes they're going to pay and what's going to happen. In fact, Babylon has taken the best and the brightest of Israel away to their city. Now, this is for two reasons. The first is, if you have someone that's brilliant and can, uh, is a good leader and a good manager, you want them in your own city so that they can benefit your city. The other thing that this does is it takes all of the leaders out of Jerusalem. So if there was somebody that was going to foment rebellion or insurrection, they're not there. They're where you can keep an eye on them. And so during this time, Israel feels leaderless and alone. And you're a watchman. Now, 99.5% of the job of watchmen is incredibly dull. You just watch, and you try not to fall asleep. I saw this video this week of a person whose job it is. They were at a, a balsamic vinegar factory, and their job was quality control. And so they sat on this stool, and on this conveyor belt, whipping by, were bottles of balsamic vinegar, and behind the bottles were, was a light. And their job was just to look at the bottles as they shot by to figure out, is there any color difference? And if there was, their, their job was to press a button then to remove that bottle and then restart the conveyor belt. That was their job. And these bottles are whizzing by. They're sitting on this chair. I cannot tell you how quickly it would be before I just completely fell asleep in that job. That is not the job for me. I could not handle that. I would be a terrible quality and control inspector. I would probably be a terrible watchman because the monotony of that job would dull my senses completely. So imagine you're a watchman, and for the last year and a half, nothing's happened of note. But then, on the hills just outside of Jerusalem, you see a runner. And the, the hills are such that when he crests one hill, you can kind of see who they are, and then they go down into the valley, and you can't see them again, but you know where they're going to show up because you know where the road is, and you know where that road led to Babylon, which means there's news. And I can't tell you why, but I know it's true. The way that you watch a runner running tells you something about what they're thinking and feeling inside. 
And as that runner gets closely, closer, as you're watching them, you can tell, I don't know what it is, it's from the gait, it's from their, their body, it's from where their eyes are pointed, that that runner has good news. It's victory. The message is clear and simple. It's when the Persians beat the Babylonians, the Persians said, uh, hey, all of you Israel, you can go home. You don't have to stay here anymore. We're not interested in keeping you anymore. This is the best news that an Israelite could possibly hear at this time. For the last 70 years, they've been in a vassal state, and they'll remain a vassal state, but this just doesn't seem to be quite as harsh. And so this message comes running over the hills. There's fascinating history if you, if, you, if you want to geek out and get into like kind of the history of signals throughout the world. There's this fascinating history of how, how messages are sent in the, in the ancient world and in the modern world. Now we are so bombarded by messages all the time, and they're nearly instantaneous that you don't even realize how many messages are happening. But in the ancient Near East, that, that runner's job is to carry one message. It reminds you of maybe like the signal fires in Lord of the Rings when they call Rohan back, and we all know, our true nerds, that it's really the red arrow, that's just the movie. But, but that signal fire, when that fire lights, it means trouble and we need help, and Rohan goes on the move. Probably the most famous signal like this, this runner, is when the Athenians beat the Persians. Isn't that interesting? The Babylonians are beat by the Persians, the P- Persians are beat by the Athenians, and the most famous runner is uh, Pheidippides. Now, Pheidippides, his job was a professional day courier. His job was to run fast through uneven terrain and to carry a message. That's what his entire professional career was. And the story goes that there was this battle between uh, the Persians and the Athenians, And to tell of the victory, he runs back to Athens, and it's about 25 miles to get there. And he runs into the city, and he he says the words, joy, victory, joy, and then he dies. I have questions about this story. I doubt this story. I think that Malcolm Gladwell needs to do some research and expose this story. It doesn't add up. A professional runner only runs 25 miles and dies? That seems strange. Here's the real story. When the Greeks, the Athenians, saw the Persians land on the beach, they knew they couldn't handle the battle by themselves. And so, Pheidippides doesn't, isn't just tasked to run from the battlefield to Athens. He's sent to Sparta first. Now, Sparta and Athens, they get in a lot of fights. That's kind of like a sibling rivalry. But when another nation state shows up, they will band together. And so, so the, the, the Athenians ask, would you help us fight off the Persians? And, and the Spartans say, of course, we'd love to get into a fight. Their reputation is that they love a good brawl, but they have some rules about it, and we need to wait until the next full moon. It'll be about six days. So Pheidippides has run 75 miles to Sparta, and he hears the word that, yes, they will help, but the help is not going to come soon enough. He takes a catnap, and he eats some lunch, and then he runs back. He runs 150 miles. 
Now, the reason why this is critical is because the Athenians, if they thought Sparta was coming and they were coming quickly, then they would just hold up in the, in the, the city. They would just wait on the walls for the Spartans to come. But because the Spartans are going to be delayed and their help is not going to be quick enough, the Athenian commanders know what they must do, which is an unexpected attack. And they drive the Persians away. And you know the name of that battlefield. It's marked by the run that Philippides did. It's marathon. And I love the myth that has his last words being joy, victory, joy. Not because he ran 25 miles, but because he ran 175 miles. Rarely does news travel by foot anymore. I mean, there's just too many simple ways of communicating, um, especially good news. You get that text, I got the job. She said, yes. But bad news does travel by foot. It's the sound of the two police officers walking up your sidewalk in the middle of the night to ring your doorbell. The tap of the doctor's heels as she walks down the corridor to the waiting room. It seems that Bad news is more often to travel by foot these days. Isaiah says the feet that bring good news are beautiful feet. It's the same word that the author of Song of Solomon uses to describe their lover. Beautiful. I don't know about you, but anyone who just ran a marathon does not have beautiful feet. But the message is going to make us sing. The message turns the watchmen into a chorus It's good news about new peace. It's good news about happiness. It's good news about salvation. Now, in the book of Isaiah, there's kind of three distinct sections of the book, so much so that some say it's kind of first Isaiah, second Isaiah, third Isaiah, and each section kind of has its own distinctiveness. And at chapter 40, that's one of the hinges in the book. It's where Israel goes into captivity into Babylon. The second section is like, how do you deal with exile? And then the third section is what happens after you've returned for exile. In chapter 40, that first hinge, there is the distinct impression that the author has that God has abandoned the people, that Babylon has won. Now, the victory that Isaiah describes is going to look very different than what you might expect. Because the very next section after this song, this poem, is Isaiah talking about the suffering servant, the one who took up our pain, the one who bore our suffering, the one who was pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. Salvation is going to come, but it doesn't look like you might expect it. Now, to be honest, I am cheating a little bit. I'm cheating about foretold. Because this quote isn't directly used around the stories in Jesus' birth. You don't find it in Matthew. You don't find it in Luke. In fact, the only place that this shows up in the New Testament is Romans chapter 10. And that's where Paul is talking about what does it mean to carry good news, not to the city of Jerusalem, but but to the entire world. And he says, look, if, if, if if, if they don't hear, then they won't know. And they can't hear unless someone is sent, and somebody can't get sent unless there is a church that supports them. But I do feel a little Christmas in this. Don't you? I love what 
what David said earlier, David Sessions said earlier, that sometimes joy feels like a luxury. And I want to lean into that. Sometimes good news feels fragile. And I know in our world right now, this is a season where it feels like it's just all bad news. It's tragedy and disaster, and, 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 but that's not the whole story. And so what I want to encourage you to do is, is this week at lunch, sometime this week, maybe it's today uh, after church, what I want you to do is spend some time talking with the person about the best news that you received. I want you to tell a little bit more of that story. The best news you received, where were you, what happened, what, what was that all about? As a means to push back against the darkness. Because sometimes, sometimes joy can feel fragile. There are a few things I can imagine that seem as fragile as a newborn baby. It's so tiny and it's so hungry and gaining or losing just like an ounce or two feels like victory or defeat. Especially if if your newborn had to stay in the hospital for a few extra days, it feels so very touch and go. But this baby, the one that's born in Bethlehem, it's going to be so many things Jesus is going to be a healer and an exorcist and a rabbi and a friend. My favorite way of understanding John is to see John as as two parts, and the hinge of John, the middle of John, is the story of Lazarus. And you remember that that story is that Jesus kind of delays in getting to Lazarus to heal him. He knows that Lazarus is sick, but he doesn't get there right away, and and Lazarus dies as, as Jesus is waiting to get to that city. And part of the underlying current is that where Lazarus dies in Bethany is so close to Jerusalem. It's as if Jesus gets too close to that city that's trying to kill him. The gravitational pull is going to pull him into that. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. And everything after that story in the book of John is is focused on the cross. But Jesus goes anyway because he loves his friend. Jesus is willing to die for a friend. Jesus is so many things. And this baby, he will be an irritant and a nuisance to the powers until he becomes a threat, a threat that must be silenced. Then he will be the one after that silence that overthrows that power, not only the power in Jerusalem, but all powers and become the savior of the world. And so we go and we carry that voice on the mountain. We go and we tell everyone we meet We are the ones that are sent because we have been told. We tell it on the mountain and we tell it on the wall and we tell it in the streets and we tell it in E2 and we tell it in Chiang Mai and we tell it in Lebanon and we tell it in Abilene, your God reigns. And let the last words out of our mouth, let the last word out of your mouth be joy. Victory, joy. In just a minute, we're going to stand for our benediction, and I want to invite our prayer partners to come forward. If you have need of prayer, our church wants to be available for you. Um, Whether that's 
a prayer right now, you can come to the front of the, of the auditorium. If it's a conversation that you need to have, or if it's a cup of coffee that needs to happen at another time, our, our, our shepherds and our prayer leaders are committed to walk beside you through that time. Uh, would you please stand for our benediction? Highland, I want you to hear the truth. Joy seems fragile, but it's not. Hope seems fleeting, but it is hard to kill. And the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. And so this week, go. Go tell it on a mountain. Go tell it wherever someone will listen. Your God reigns. Go in peace.